If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. One of the difficulties as I read the book of Acts is I ask myself the question constantly, is our church as they were? One of the difficulties for me as a pastor is looking at my own life and asking whether I had the boldness that Peter had or Paul did. And every time I ask those questions, I'm more and more convinced that we're not bold enough, that we don't love enough, that we don't preach Christ enough. One of the things that we're going to talk about this morning is the fact that God is on the move, church, and the gospel will always reach the destination that it's intended. People are going to hear the gospel message, whether with our help or without, because God always does the sending. And the question for us is whether we're going to be obedient to that call. And God will continue to bless our church. Or whether we are disobedient and God says, that's it. You see, one of the difficulties as we read this text here in Acts chapter 11 is that we see the early church get some things right that many churches today get wrong. We see the early church have a gospel witness. We're going to look at two things specifically in this text. They have a gospel witness. And number two, they have the shared relief. They cared for others. What I think is very difficult for a lot of people to understand is that many times people in the church, they want to be nice at the expense of the gospel. And then there are others in the church that want to share the gospel but they do it in a cruel and nasty manner. That's a dangerous thing to do. The reason why it's so dangerous is because the early church had these things balanced out. And we in our modern culture, especially America, American Christianity, we are consumer-based. We do our studies on what does the demographics say, and we're going to form our church to please the community instead of starting with, what does God say? And we're going to start with what He says we should do. Today we're going to be looking at two things here in Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Number one, the gospel witness, verses 19 through 26. And number two, the shared relief, verses 27 through 30. Number one, the gospel witness, verses 19 through 26. Here's what it says. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Then news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, And they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all with that purpose of heart that they should continue with the Lord. 
For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Antioch is a city that Luke decides is now important to transition and discuss. And there are some remarkably interesting details that we can see clearly spelled out here in the text. What's interesting is the disciples here were persecuted and spread throughout the Roman Empire. Especially those who were connected to the early church and the persecution regarding Stephen. Remember, Stephen was an early deacon in the church. These disciples were spread throughout, but were very selective in who they shared the gospel message with. In fact, the text says here that they discussed it specifically with the Jewish people only. Now, as we discussed last week, this is something that God still works on, even with us. Let's not pretend that we don't have our preferences when we want to share the gospel with people. You ever meet a person you probably didn't want to share the gospel with? Don't tell me that's never happened to you. You're almost like wanting judgment on them. Am I the only one? I think it's happened to all of us, right? We've seen people that go after the Christian faith, and we're going, Lord, please take care of them. The last thing on our mind is to share the gospel with them. You see, the disciples were under severe persecution. Many of them had lost their income, their family connections, and potentially even their life, as we saw with Stephen. But they mainly ministered only to the Jewish people and avoided sharing with the Gentile population. But we see here in verse 20 a breakthrough. It says, Some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. These people understood the mission to the Gentiles as well was very important. They saw that, you know what, just because you're from a Greek-speaking cultural background does not mean that I should avoid you. Just because you weren't considered a pure Jew does not mean that I should avoid you. These more than likely, those that were Hellenists, they adopted the Greek language and dropped a lot of the Aramaic whereas the Hebrews held on to their Jewish language and faith. According to commentators, Antioch was founded about 300 B.C. by Celestius I, one of the inheritors of Alexander the Great's empire. He liked to make a city and name it after his father constantly. In fact, Antioch, this was a name that he gave 15 cities. This city of Antioch was called the Syrian Antioch. In fact, in the first century, it was a city of more than half a million people. Today, it's a Turkish city with a population of about 3,500. In fact, Antioch was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. It's quite a, quite a travel there. And considered the third greatest city in the Roman Empire behind Rome and Alexandria. Antioch's reputation was one of high-class business and culture, but also blatant cult immorality. This was an effort here that we see in the text by a group of disciples who now actively wanted to reach out to the Gentiles who did not know Jesus to be Messiah. 
The early disciples connected those who heard with understanding that Jesus was God and was to be worshipped as Yahweh was. Some Gentiles actually had a similar experience as Cornelius. More than likely meaning they practiced maybe some of the things that the Jewish people did, but they didn't know Jesus as Messiah. Others were probably blatant disregarders of God's law and were very involved with the sexual immorality and the cult that we see at that time. Both groups were still missing the key, which is Christ. You see, we have people that we talk to that fit in both categories. We have those that are religious, and they practice certain things based on some religious system or a religious background that may, they may have grown up with, some form of religion. They desire to worship a deity. They desire to give of themselves to that. Sadly, some of them desire to give of themselves more to that and more faithfully than many Christians do. In fact, many people may be very sincere, but they can be sincerely wrong. Scripture tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Many times I believe it's more difficult to reach religious people with the gospel than it is reaching those that don't have much of a connection to religious, period. In fact, one of the main reasons other religions reject Christ is the way many of us as Christians live. We're not exactly a good testimony. Our marriages aren't exactly screaming, the gospel matters. Believer, you and I are forgiven, but when we abuse grace and live in any way we please, we should not be surprised that our gospel witness is shattered before the world. When we cheapen the gospel message and show that it really doesn't matter how often we sin before God, He'll always forgive us, we've missed the point of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In fact, religion can be so dangerous that many can buy into the Christian faith and just assume that their works were enough anyways. They may not even actually worship the Lord Jesus Christ, but looked at their performance as the right standing before God. Listen, we're not here to sugarcoat it for you here at Sovereign Grace Church. Every single person needs Jesus Christ. And apart from Him, we have no hope. Period. You and I do not have paradise awaiting us apart from Him. We want you to know that what matters ultimately is Him. It doesn't matter ultimately who we are. It doesn't matter what background we have. It doesn't matter what religion we grew up with. It doesn't matter what our race, racial status is in the community. What matters is Christ and our relationship with Him. We place our faith in Him, knowing that He died for our sins, was buried, rose again the third day, proving He conquered sin and death, which is why we worship Him. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we're, worth, we're, we're wasting our time as a church. There's no reason for us to tell anybody else about Him. That, in a nutshell, is the gospel. Now, non-religious people, they're all around us as well, Right? They need to see us as a light, church. The light that should be shining is Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
This means that we take the time to invite people into our life, not just to the church building. One of the easiest things you can do as a, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a church member here at Sovereign Grace Church, is to just not do anything and just invite them to church. Let me, let me challenge you to go a step further. Invite them into your life. Invite them into your home. Go out to dinner with them. Spend some time with people. Have them get to know you. In fact, what some of you are missing, and this is a big one that a lot of people in the church miss, your greatest testimony very well, parents, could be your children to other people in the world. You're so concerned in making sure you bring up the gospel message just right, what you're not realizing is your children are a gospel message. Your marriage is a gospel message. In fact, the gospel message is illustrated in Christ in the church. Husbands and wives. Your heart needs to long for soul's salvation more than it desires to be liked by people. Church, you've got to stop trying to get everybody to like you. We need to stop wanting everybody's approval. There's one thing that the church has gotten so wrong is wanting everybody to like them. People are going to think we're not loving because we mentioned that they're going to hell. Well, how hateful do you need to be if you saw a Mack truck about to hit somebody you decided not to warn them? It's all right. I don't want to be known as a hateful person. Yet that's essentially what we're doing. Take the, th the time to, to think through this, church. When you're eating at a restaurant, before you pray, I know I've done this with a couple of the guys here at the church, ask the waiter or waitress if there's anything they want to have prayed for. You'd be surprised the witness you can have. If you're looking to help those that don't hold the standard of Scripture, you do need to understand these truths. Number one, they will not understand Scripture unless the Holy Spirit makes it clear to them. Does not stop you from sharing something with them. Well, I'm talking to a dead person, spiritually speaking. Correct. Guess what the Word of God does? In alignment with the Holy Spirit, it gives life. They will see it as foolish, potentially, apart from God's working in their life. Listen, some people are going to be shocked that you're so successful in life, but you're a Christian. What? I thought they were cool and neat and awesome. They believe that Jesus stuff? Man, they're weird. Now, maybe, maybe applying some of this Bible besides what you think we do, we're doing is what's making us successful in life. Believer, they may get easily offended by you presenting the only way. Listen, as soon as you and I have to cater to them and say, well, you know, there's another way besides Jesus, you are not holding to the true faith of Christ. And frankly, what you're doing is blasphemy. Any church that says there are multiple ways to God has denied its exclusive nature with Christ. Church, they may eventually mock the very thing you espouse. Listen, if you're not paying attention to what's going on in the world, I can't wake you up. If you think those fact checkers on Facebook are only worried about your Republican status, if you're a Republican, you're wrong. 
Let me encourage you to look at something that maybe some of you are not aware of. There's a creation museum down south that has already got a Snopes type of article written about it. Stating that this is what conspiracies are. Church, this is what you're against. You're, you're up against right now in the world, and you need to understand that. And VeggieTales ain't going to cut it at home, family. You need a little more than that. Here's an important point that many times is missed by Christians that want to evangelize or share the gospel with others. Just because the person is not a Christian does not hold your values, does not mean that you don't get to share certain things found in the Word of God regarding the moral code of God. Because that may very well be the avenue that God uses to then share the gospel with them. Many Christians say you shouldn't share the morals of Scripture with a non-Christian because they don't have the same standard. I disagree. Why? Because God's Word clearly tells me that God's Word, His law, is written on man's heart. Well, people can deny it all they want. You and I both know we've considered certain things wrong and then decided it wasn't so bad after a while and realized our conscience was seared. But the moral law of God is written on people's hearts. You see, does that mean that God's word is null and void until someone becomes a Christian? I don't believe so. In fact, God's word is powerful and sharp, and we need to wield it well because it will cut. Case in point, if a non-believer is living a sexually immoral lifestyle, the word of God may be the very thing that they need to hear that will bring them to saving faith in Christ regarding the, the sin that they're in. So many Christians want to share Christ without discussing the purpose for which He came, which is to remove sin, to pay for sin on the cross. God's Word does not return void, believer. All those things that you think are wasted conversations with people regarding Scripture are not to be wasted. There are still axiomatic truths that can be found in Scripture that in so much any person follows that that Scripture says, the principle still applies. Barnabas was sent to the church in Antioch as the theologian, if you will, who filled the gaps of doctrine for the new believers. This is why it's vitally important that you do not just come to pray a prayer and be done with it. This follow-through is incredible here that we see in the text. He goes to Antioch to encourage them, and even more are brought to saving faith. Now, how does that work? How does Barnabas' arrival create more urgency for the gospel? It's very simple, church. Doctrine builds the church. When somebody says, you know what, God's word is that important, they grow spiritually. They want to share Christ passionately. When someone says, you know, Bible reading isn't all that important, Pastor Roman. I think you're a little over the top on this. I've been fine. I've been doing this church thing for 20 years. I've been saved for 20-something years of my life. You're the most bitter person I've seen. What did Jesus do for you for 20 years? You obviously don't want any connection with him right now, do you? Well, that's a little harsh, Pastor Roman. Is it? Scripture tells us to make sure that we root out bitterness in our church. Pastor Roman, you're not being loving. 
You're not being kind. You're not being gracious. Folks, there's a point to where the only thing I can do is warn you. I can't love you into repentance sometimes. The most loving thing I can do is ultimately show you that God's word says what it says and it means what it means. And you're in danger if you don't pay attention. And some of you know this. You know this from practical experience. You've seen the high points of your marriage and the low points of your marriage. And most of the time, they work in sync with whether you're close to God or not. For those of you that are married. For those of you that had great relationships with others, you know that when you're closest to God, for some reason, you're able to forgive that jerk of a coworker. You can. And some of you realize that sometimes Pastor Roman may not be properly responding to something, and you graciously go, you know what? He's off today. I understand. And God's work convicts you, and it convicts me. Barnabas is sent to build up the church, encourage the church. And in his encouragement, the church continues to grow. Check out verse 25. Look at what it says. Verse 25. Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul. Barnabas wasn't even done. He wanted to bring Paul on, or Saul. He needed help with the new disciples that were coming to Saving Faith. Huge point of application here that I think is missed by people when they read this text, and I and I've really was impressed by this. Number one, those that shared the gospel needed more help. Church, when you've been given the gospel message, when the gospel message has been shared with others, they still need to be built up in their faith. What a lot of churches do to our detriment is we bring the gospel to somebody, they get saved, they get baptized, and then it's like it's over. Game over. You're done. You're in the kingdom. Congratulations. You have done everything required. Folks, there's way more to it than that. Those that shared the gospel, were shared the gospel needed more help. We see that in verse 22. Number two, Barnabas goes out to encourage them and gets them started, if you will. So Barnabas is, is sent in from Jerusalem and he starts encouraging these believers. He's building them doctrinally, getting them to understand the connections between the Messiah. And then number three, Barnabas knows that more is needed... And he sends for Saul. And look at what it says here at the end. And I think a lot of people miss this when they read the Bible. And when he had, verse 26, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. This took some time. Let's put it this way, guys. This was not a three-week course in Bible doctrine, okay? This was a year-long process of these men pouring into these new converts. In fact, what's interesting, the term Christian is only used three times in all the Bible, yet that's the common term that all of us associate with. Whereas disciple is the standard word for those that follow Christ, even throughout the book of Acts. Each reference to Christian was something given to those disciples of Christ by those on the outside looking in.
So we've just looked at the gospel witness. Number two, the shared relief. Verses 27 through 30. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them, named Agabus, stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, notice that phrase, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So listen, church, here's what's interesting is at this time, there apparently were those that would still be considered prophets. They made a prediction and it came to pass. Modern day prophets are not qualified. They make tons of predictions. None of them come to pass. 2020 is the year. Y2K, remember that? That was a false premise. We're all waiting at midnight. This is it. The whole world's going down. Agabus predicts a severe famine, and it comes to fruition, causing a very serious problem in the Roman Empire. Here's what's great, though. These disciples, or Christians, if you will, in Antioch, had just been given the gospel message, and they wanted to send relief to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Make this connection. The church of Jerusalem sends them who? Barnabas to come encourage them, right? All of a sudden, there's a famine throughout. Guess which church is in need? The one that's in Jerusalem. Guess what happens? They send relief back. Church, the bodies to care for one another. They took care of those in their congregation in Antioch, and they also went ahead and sent relief to those in another church, the church of Jerusalem. This is a point of application that I have not considered strong enough until I hit this. But I believe that the persecuted church needs our support as well. Just as the Jewish people do, I believe the persecuted church that is in need needs our support as well. I'm hashing that out still, church. They gave this to Barnabas and Saul to bring to the elders back at the church in Jerusalem. Notice the phrase here, and I'm going to park here for a little bit and buckle up. This is probably going to be the most intense part of the whole sermon. Each according to his ability. That right here is the proper balance in caring for others. A couple important points to make as we think through this. Number one, the amount. Each of us, if we're to help others whether in our congregation or outside the congregation that is in need of financial assistance should do it according to our ability, which means we need to bring something to the table that we can give. Some bring nothing to the table when it comes to the needs of the church and support of the ministry. I wrestled to include this in the sermon, but I need to. Some in the church, they never call anyone else. They rarely give of their time and money. Only when they feel guilt will they even consider it. Their idea of helping others is not there because they are the ones that are always in need of help. 
When someone asks them to give what they can give, they get offended even with that. They're constantly pointing out the ways the church needs to improve without ever wanting to be a part of the solution. In fact, their contribution to the problems of the church is only adding to them. Now some of you are going, well, that's not me. Well, don't worry, we're going to get to you in a second. Others try to help with everything in the church. If there's something that needs to be done, they're there. They feel like that if they forgot to call someone, the whole church might fall apart. I know people like that in this church. I really do. They neglect to see the needs that they have because they're constantly trying to help others with theirs. They go above and beyond in serving others, many times taking on the hurts and burdens that were not theirs to carry. Eventually, they burn out because the responsibilities others have laid on them were too much for them to carry alone. Church, the correct response, let's go to the text and do what the Bible says, according to his ability. You do what you can based on what God has gifted you to do. You don't do nothing if you can contribute something. Okay? You also don't try to do everything when you can't. Just because there are others in the church does not mean that you need to feel that you're obligated to hit every single person in this church consistently. In fact, God may be calling others to take on some of the things that you're wanting to do, and they should be doing them. One of the big things I know that many of you probably are not aware of is I spent hours when we first had COVID recording my sermons online, editing them, and posting them. Hours of work. In fact, it was way more work for that than a typical Sunday morning. One of the greatest blessings has been Noah and Sam stepping into that role of doing the video editing for me. I could focus on what God called me to rather than focusing on video editing. It was clear that if I wanted to be efficient in doing the main thing that God called me to, that I need to hand this to somebody else that can do it. These guys have saved me precious time to focus on things that God wants for me to do. In fact, some of that time was spent away from the family trying to finish it up for Sunday mornings. Non-committed and over-committed Christians need to both realize the danger they're putting the rest of the church in with their lack of discernment. Listen, church, when an overcommitted church member needs your help, non-committed church folks, don't just take offense to help them out. Do it. Help them out. If you've got nothing on your plate, help out a person that's got too much on their plate. If you can't help because it's not something you do or in any way are gifted in that area, then find something that God has specifically gifted you in and help in that way. And give of yourself in that area. Overcommitted church member, be willing to give up what you're barely able to hold up on your own. 
You may even leave a greater mess in the church having failed in trying to do too much than the person that didn't start anything at all. Many people have left the church devastated trying to take on too much. It would have been better if they didn't start at all. One last point here I'd like to make looking at this text. We are to give of ourselves in sharing the gospel with others as the church of Antioch did. But notice what they didn't neglect to do. They took care of their own church as well. The church family was also taking care of another church family outside the congregation, but they made sure they took care of their own. It's not just reach others for Christ and neglect the family of God. This is not an either-or, church. There are too many Christians that, for crying out loud, I don't understand their mentality. They want to reach a lot of people for Christ, but they hate their very church that they attend. I don't understand that at all. Why would anybody want to be a part of your church if you don't love the church? Why would you want to share the gospel with anybody else? Sadly, much of the church has become very hypocritical in their desire to reach others for Christ while neglecting their own brothers and sisters in Christ. We do whatever we can to reach others with the gospel. We also do whatever we can to help our brothers and sisters that are in need in our church. These are not mutually exclusive, believer. So in conclusion, we see that God's on the move here in this church. There are things that are moving forward. Where is God moving you? Where is God moving you? Is God moving you to reach others with the gospel? Have you just neglected to do that? It's not much of a priority lately. You're more concerned about COVID. Have you just been neglectful in sharing with others your life and his word? Have you just isolated yourself when you should have been more available to others? You need to be willing to do whatever God has given you the ability to in reaching the lost with the gospel, as well as helping the local body of believers. Maybe you need to bring that person that's questioning what the gospel is all about to church. Maybe you need to just have them over for a meal. Maybe you need to go out. What are you waiting for, church? We waiting for COVID to be over? At this point, you know, we're 15 days into our spread times 20. Eternity without knowing Christ is a lot more dangerous than any virus. Maybe you're someone that really doesn't care to help other brothers or sisters in the church. Maybe it's easier for you to love the church from the outside looking in. Maybe you don't really know all that well that when you're a part of the church, the body hurts when you're not here. The church of Antioch took care of one another and then they also took care of the saints in Jerusalem. Maybe you've been doing too much and you're just about ready to quit. You've grown bitter because you're trying to help everyone but in the process, you're neglecting the things God wants you to do in your own life. This is not the way God intended for it to be, believer. Maybe you need to be willing to hand off something to someone else, and maybe it'll be easier for them to handle because they don't have all that much to do themselves.
When God is on the move, the church takes action in loving others. And out of faith, that he's enabled them to do the things that he's called them to. To the best of their ability. Not beyond. Let's pray.